Hello, and welcome back to A Beautiful Faith with Henry Johnson and Ryan Becker. I am Ryan Becker, and you are... Henry Johnson. We did it, team. I don't actually think we've ever, like, introduced ourselves as, like, which voice belongs to whom, but... I I, I think people understand, because I think we've used each... Like reference the other one by name when making points, but if oh, not, I mean, surprise! And, I mean, and we did two episodes where we talked about each other's stories the entire episode. So it's like you can infer it by now. But if this is your first episode ever listening, you have no idea who who we are <laughs> until now. Yes, until now. Um, hey, so just before we jump into the episode, um, quick announcement, which is that uh, because of some life changes happening. Uh, and some uh, transitions that are happening for, uh, for honestly, for both of us. Um, uh, Beautiful Faith will be going every other week um, from June to, uh, we don't have an end date for that yet. Um, so if you happen to follow both the Absurdity podcast and A Beautiful Faith, uh, we will be going, uh, Absurdity will release, and then A Beautiful Faith will release the week after. Um, and so you'll still get weekly content, um, but it won't be, both shows every week. Uh, just right now in this season of life for, for both of us, we uh, have so much going on that the content that we give you, even if we wanted to, even though we want to give it to you on a weekly basis, it would suffer because we would be, we would be way too stressed and hard pressed to do the proper research and really talk about these issues in a way that matters. And it's not worth putting out if it's not going to be good. Right. Yeah, so. we want we want to give you quality. Consider it. I mean, as we said, there's life stuff going on, but I'm sure as many of you realize, we just went through a period where there was nothing going on, and now the country is fast opening up, and a lot of things are happening as a result. So, we didn't want to shortchange you guys in the process. So, we appreciate your patience, but no, we ain't going anywhere. Yep. We will still get great content, and this is also an opportunity if you haven't been listening to our sister show, our shows. On the Absurd Network podcast network, you should you should use that time to check it out. You will not regret anything that you're listening to on the network. Yeah, and if you want to check out any of those shows, go to the absurd go to absurdnetwork.com, um, and you can check out any of the five shows that are on that on the network right now. And if you have a show that you're interested in bringing onto the network, uh, feel free to reach out as well. So yeah, all those links are in the show notes, including uh, links to one article that we'll be referencing throughout the episode. Um, so while I, I, I've recently been uh, kind of diving into the world of YouTube and trying to increase the amount of video content that I create, considering I invested a ton of money into video equipment and uh, finally have my studio kind of office space in a, in a setup that I am that I am proud of and that I'm comfortable doing actual content production with. And so recently started diving into that. And while I was drafting the outline and script for a, for a completely different topic, it turned out that I was going to use abstinence as a kind of a jumping off point or as a, as a transition point. And you refused to abstain from this topic. Yes, I refused. And while I was thinking about that statement, uh, or the, the transition that I had planned, I realized, well, at first I thought, I need to develop this and I'm going to put it in a post on Facebook and generate some discussion. And then as I edited that, you know, wrote it all out into a longer, well-thought-out piece, not just a small transition point, um, I realized I was, you know, took an hour and a half or so of editing it and then went, nah, this needs to be a video, which it will be at some point. 
But then I said, you know what? I think this is going to make a great podcast discussion. So here we are. Dun, we're going to um, we're going to talk about abstinence and sexuality and sex education today. Um, there's when it comes to the faith journey. Yes. Yes. When it comes to your faith journey, and to be to be just a hundred percent transparent here, um, while we have an outline that we're following, um, I don't think that we're going to get into any uh, specific terms or anything that would make this a not safe for work podcast. Um, but that being said, I don't know. So, um, I don't think that we're going to be describing anything specific or anything like that. We're talking about, um, the abstinence only, uh, model of sexual education and the understanding of sexuality that accompanies that model of education and kind of its impacts on everyone. Right, and how that education has primarily been used in the West in Christianity, uh, adopted by that field. So we figured that when one is yep. going on a reconstructive journey, it's something that you are inevitably going to interact with in some way, shape, or form. So that's what we're discussing. So we, you know, this, here's your warning now if you would just feel more comfortable making sure the kids aren't sitting in the room or something else, but we're not going to be getting graphic or talking about any anything in that line, just mainly what that kind of subculture of Christianity uh, and a lot of faith groups for that matter will do on your reconstructive journey. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, many, many Christians grew up believing and being taught, you know, about abstinence and avoiding sex. And I do want to be clear right out, right out of the gate that I don't think, um, I, I think objectively speaking, there's nothing wrong with abstinence. So there's nothing wrong with promoting abstinence. Just, just, so if there's anyone who's who's going to tell me or who thinks that I'm about to take some different stance or some big controversial stance, I'm really not here. Um, I don't think abstinence-only education is wrong. However, I do think that there are significant flaws with the way it's been applied and the way it is currently applied, and I do think we need to, to make some modifications to how we teach this. Um, so that's, Yes, the, the, yeah. the kernel of truth is all right. The process by which we've tried to apply it has been damaging. Yep. And if you don't have any clue what we're about to do, we would recommend you go back to our purity episode, Regaining yes. Purity. That We'll probably reference that again, and that will give you kind of the same idea because both of these issues are somewhat entwined. And hopefully when you listen to that, you'll realize we have nothing against the concepts of, of, of purity or innocence or whatever, not like that. Uh, how they've been appropriated how they've been applied has been where the rub is so yep. to speak and we're trying to to deal with that so if you if you have had some hang-ups regarding sexuality or sexual topics and you haven't been able to verbalize them or put them into words regarding your just your experience growing up and listen listening about it or learning about it and being educated um then we hope that this episode is something that will um will give you some language to speak to some of those hang-ups and help you uh, begin to navigate some of those so that you can keep building and reconstructing your faith um, and continue moving forward in a healthy way. So uh, first of all, Henry, let's go ahead and do what we always do. Let's define the term. So let's define abstinence. Um, abstinence um, means refraining from or keeping away from or from engaging in something in its purest form. Yes. Now, in this topic, obviously, what we most people would, in the common vernacular, take abstinence to mean is only two things in pop culture that I know of. If you use the word abstinence, it's now taken on the connotation you're either staying away from alcohol or you're staying away from sex. Yep. Sex being the, the top one people think of, but then they kind of give you a pass for alcohol as well. Yes. 
And depending on what circles you're in, and in many cases how conservative or traditional your your you know the value system is of the church or school that you're you're at, um, abstinence is expanded to include all forms of sexual activity. Um, the there are some there are some that say just sex, just the actual act of intercourse, um, and then there are others who will say all forms of sexual activity. Um, the I actually remember sitting through a presentation in high school where someone talked about like oral sex being you're not abstinent if you do that or have done that because um, yeah. I mean the word sex, sex is in it exactly yeah. I was literally was about to say I, the I word sat sex through is that exact it. same not not I wasn't in the exact same class as you obviously but having gone through that same era of of world history yeah that was the same thing they were like if it has the word sex in it it's sex which means it's no good yep so um. The presence of abstinence education is largely influenced by churches and religious groups or perpetuated by religious parents. So we see parents freaking out and, and a lot of public school teachers are, pre- are prevented from being able to talk about or, or do sex education um, outside of an abstinence thing because the parents freak out so because so, parents freak out so much. And um, this actually is one of the ways that I think the line between church the separation of church and state has really is really blurred. Um, and, and that I think there's, there's probably, there's, there's too much religious influence in this, in this topic. Um, let's be honest. One of the, one of the interesting things all the way through with this situation, um, obviously is that it's not just church and state that have blurred here. It's also church, state, and politics have blurred on this issue, which I think is something else that, that. You know, I don't, I don't want to get too far off the rabbit hole, but especially when it comes like to sex education in schools, there's there's a there's a level of societal politics that are also now involved. Yeah, uh, the culture wars, as we say. So you've got you've got three main things that are all blending on this that just further add to the problems. Yep. So technically, abstinence is a 100% safe way to avoid STIs and pregnancy because you can't. Get either of those if you aren't doing the thing that would cause them. Um, Clarity, by the way, STIs are sexually transmitted infections. Yep. When we were growing up, they called them STDs, sexually transmitted diseases. Um, But the nomenclature has changed. But so if you're wondering what in the world we're referencing there, that's what it is. And um, so we're going to be citing an article coming out of uh, Gutmacher, uh, and the link is in the description or the the episode show notes for you. Um, but here's here's where this has become a problem. Abstinence only until marriage is the formal term for this. Abstinence only until marriage. If you just those four words hyphenated, uh, so aum education. <laughs> <laughs> Aum education, Uh, as as research has shown, actually hasn't been really that effective in preventing these things. And here's here's a quote for you. While sexual abstinence can be a healthy choice for some adolescents, abstinence only until marriage programs are highly problematic, says Laura Lindberg, review and co-author of the gut uh, and gutmacher or gutmacher principal research scientist. These programs withhold, uh, withhold, withhold important sexual health knowledge and provide medically inaccurate information that compromises young people's healthy sexual development. Um, in addition to it, considerable scientific evidence accumulated over the past 20 years has found that uh, abstinence-only programs are not effective at preventing pregnancy or STIs. 
nor do they have a positive impact on age at first sexual intercourse, number of sexual partners, or other behaviors. That's pretty damning. Yeah. Which, by the way, to be fair, things like this is the first thing in the culture wars that people will point to against those who are trying to teach any sort of abstinence programming. Yes. And once again, nothing wrong with the kernel of truth. And even 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 this article, which is referencing several studies, by the way, um, even this article is saying, like, yeah, abstinence only is can be a really healthy choice. Like they're they're not against abstinence, but they're against the education models, the programs, because of what those programs are actually teaching, like the content itself. And so so it's it's rather what it's being taught and what is not being taught that is the problem. And I'm gonna say abstinence also yeah. abstains from content. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what is yeah. there to teach? Just don't do it. You're done. Yeah. And Christianity specifically has largely told people to be abstinent, but we really haven't given them any proper tools in order to actually be abstinent. <laughs> well, right. and and not just that, and I think, and of course, I'm not a researcher, but my my guess would be even when I when I hear articles like this, probably part of why I think abstinence only education is failing in this regard for teen pregnancy and first sexual experiences and whatnot is not only like you said we're not telling them anything about other than don't do it, not well then how do you navigate a world like that, uh, but on top of that, if people then decide not to follow that method you know, that methodology of abstinence, they now have zero knowledge of what to do when they're going to go engage in that world. So I think, you know, it just increases likelihood of issues. Yep, absolutely. And to be fair, there's going to be a lot of people that are like, well, we tell people stay vertical, not don't, don't let your relationship go horizontal, you know, stay <laughs> sitting up or standing up, not laying down. Don't let it, you know, don't, don't be in a bedroom alone. Don't close the door. Um, go on group dates or don't be in a relationship at all. And while all or of those dating goodbye, yeah, I kiss dating goodbye. Um, and while all of those are, are suggestions and, and some of them have been effective for people before that's not the complete picture. And that's the problem is they don't, they give a very limited understanding of dating relationships and how people should be relating to one another. So I think it's worth us going through and pointing out some of the main and, and addressing some of the main actual issues that we've listed off already with abstinence education. Um, so Henry, if you want to introduce this first one, um, which is part of the quote that I read earlier, um, and we'll launch into this. Yes. So some problems with abstinence education and abstinence only education. And as we just brought up before, it's withholding sexual health knowledge. Yeah. This right. And tools. Yes. So, I mean, the biggest thing that people push, again, this is part of the culture wars now, but you can't know anything about contraceptions, uh, contraceptives, I can't even speak, Yeah. such as like condoms or birth control or other sort of devices and things that they have for that. So, so you have no knowledge whatsoever of what to do if you decide, no, nah, this ain't for me, and you're just going to ignore it. Yes, correct. And not only that, you don't have like... You don't have any knowledge when it comes time. It, it, let's say you follow abstinence only all the way to marriage. When it actually comes time for you to, you know, engage in sexual activity with your spouse, you have none of the knowledge you need to make, you know, to do it safely and and um, and and do it wisely, right? Like, there's no. If I don't know how any of this works, now I have to go and learn this and find the information on my own. 
And the problem then is, you know, like uh, if you if you're like me, I don't know, Henry, if you ever went through the Dare program. I don't know if that was. I don't know how old Dare is. The the drugs. Um, yeah, against drugs. Yeah, yeah, it was in the schools. I remember that it was. Um, it was Dare, and then what was the other one? The Mothers Against Drunk Driving. It was Mad. The, mad. Yeah. Yep. Duh. Yeah, the, <laughs> I think of my acronym. Yeah, the both of those programs came out about the same time. Yeah, and the Dare program is largely seen as a failure. It used fear tactics rather than information, um, and rather than information, and it and it tried to scare people away from 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 drugs. And abstinence only education tries to scare people away from sexual activity. So we only talk about STIs and try and show kids the horrible, you know, the horrible impact and destructive nature of STIs. Um, and without any further context, we'll even show them images, but there's no, there's, there's no way to, how do I engage in, in, you know, healthy, healthy sexual activity with, with my, with my spouse. And if they have an STI, how do I, you know, how do I manage that? There's no, essentially there is a fear from Christian groups and from those that teach this and teach this way, that any sort of education regarding regarding what to do when you're having sex is seen as promotion of sexual activity outside of marriage. And to be fair, I know this is going to add another layer of nuance, and we can't hit every nuance in the wider Christian family, but that being said, another major, major group of Christians today when you start talking about the Roman Catholic communion and all that, you also run into a theology that says that things like contraceptives and all of that uh, within even a marriage context is not the ideal plan. Yep. So then you have a further incentive not even to discuss these things, period. And I don't want to, I'm not trying to pick on them as like, well, how dumb or whatever. That's not the point I'm trying to make. I think we're just trying to make the point that even more, it's even more glaring. There's reasons why people are still not even getting into this, these, these topics and, and information spheres. Yep, and there is plenty of evidence within Scripture, plenty of evidence within Scripture that sex is more than just a procreation act, um, and it's it's more than just an act of life. And if so, I'm not going to go into critiquing the theology in general. I'm just going to say there's plenty of evidence for healthy sexual intimacy between married couples outside of the procreative nature of sex. So. Um, the other result that withholding this information um, actually has is that it often leads people to, when they actually come across the information on their own, or they see that it's not as bad as what their teachers or you know leaders had had taught them, they believe that their teachers were lying to them. So this is a this breeds a form of distrust, especially in an era where students that are learning this and people that are learning this stuff can fact check you from their pockets. Yeah. Uh, so at this point, the question becomes, they're going to get the information from somewhere. Yeah. Do you want them and, to get that information from a source that isn't you, that you don't trust, or do you want that information to come from you? Because they're going yeah, to get and that's, it. And that's been a big pet peeve of mine, even within the church and as someone who works within church context. It is I get that for so long we've taught that this topic is awkward or you don't discuss it or it's private, you can't do it publicly or whatever. The problem is is that com that ship already sailed a long time ago. This discussion is had every single day and every single moment in the public sphere. Yep. And you will interact with it. 
I mean, you will, you know, the old saying was, and this was the, the old days, they're like, well, you interact with it at the checkout line at the store because all the magazines and tabloids and whatever. Well, you know, now let's just be honest. You don't even have to go to the store. Most people are on their phones anyway, not looking at the stuff standing on the store shelves. I mean, yep. it can come straight. You might think you're not discussing it in your home. It's being discussed in your home through a screen sitting in your bedroom. And yep. I, that sounds a lot like probably some scare tactic somebody would use about that. And I wasn't meaning that as a scare tactic. I'm just saying... It's being discussed, and I've never understood why the church is willing to abdicate its responsibilities or just basically ignore an entire major life issue for every human being on the planet and think that, well, if we just don't talk about it, we're all good. No, no, it's going to be discussed nine different ways and 900 different ways, and if we don't have our voice at the table, why are you mad when nobody's listening, nobody's seeing the benefits supposedly of your your viewpoint. Yep. That I mean, I think that we have as a church an ethical, moral and biblical responsibility to educate students across the board about sexuality in a way that is healthy, that maintains proper value in human worth and empowers people to take care of themselves and their bodies. Right? Like like those are the those are the things that those are the goals that we should have that that they should be able to ha- engage in healthy, intimate relationships with people. And, um, and know, and know exactly what that looks like. And unfortunately, um, withholding sexual health knowledge and information is not allowing people to do that. It's literally not, it's not empowering people because you're not giving them information that they could, that they could use in their life and put to work. Um, yeah, somehow we think that giving information is giving reason for quote sin or temptation or failing. It's one of the reasons suicide was such a taboo for so long to talk about was you can't talk about it because then someone will, might be tempted to... They might get the idea to kill themselves. Yeah, and that's that's actually been researched and studied that no, that's not the case at all. And um, we need to talk about it because it's just going to kill... It's killing people. Um, and so this is the same. this is the same thing. And even though it might not be physically killing people, it's killing their faith. It's killing their trust. It's eroding their relationship with the church and their previous authority figures, um, interpersonal relationships. Yeah. So the other thing that this, that, that abstinence only education tends to do and those programs tend to do is perpetuate gender stereotypes. And this is where we talked about the rediscovering purity episode. Um, this is where purity culture comes in because abstinence only education can rely on shame tap shame tactics in a way that when people hear about it, who have already failed at abstinence, when they hear about it, they they end up well, feeling like they've already fa- they they're beyond recovery. Yeah, and I and I want to be very clear there for a second. I want to be very clear in our on our wording. It, yeah, not I was going to go back as they, well. Quote fail, not that they yeah. failed at abstinence, but maybe they have chosen non-abstinence because it's not necessarily a failure. There's a lot yeah. of people making a conscious choice because that's that's also. I want to be careful with that language because that's also a language I know you and I heard a lot growing up where the moment you step out of abstinence in any context that that can feel like a failure of what is supposed to be the standard. Yes. Right. And it's and it's it's not that or it's it's a choice at different stages. It's not necessarily failing. Failing makes it seem like oops, it snuck up on me and got me, which is a lot of the fear yeah. tactics of it don't be alone in the room with them. Don't shut the door or the little the sex monster will come up and grab you. Well, and I yeah. wanted to use wording that was familiar to people, and I I thank you for the clarification and would have done the exact same to say that, yeah, it's not that anyone necessarily failed 
Um, but this is something that that this is a wording and language that we're all familiar with. And if someone heard this for the first time in its traditional form, the implication automatically is I have failed at this thing that I didn't even know was so important. And yeah. um, to give you an example, um, I just saw this this on Twitter being shared around uh, recently. But Mike Todd, who's become a really popular pastor on social media, he pastors the Transformation Tur- Church. I believe it's in Texas. Um, he actually preached on um, on sexuality and sex, and he said um, he said that whenever you have sex with someone, you're giving a piece of yourself emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually to everyone you have sex with. So you'll never be whole with the person that you love, the person that you're supposed to spend all of your life with if you're if you're going out and sleeping around because you've got all of those pieces of you walking around with other people. And the mm. implication of this teaching is don't do this or else you'll never be whole. Imagine hearing this. In other words, lifelong consequences of the most dire nature. Yep. Imagine hearing this as someone who's already been doing that. What, what hope is offered to you at the point that you're told you will never be whole because of your past actions? Well, then, I mean, probably a lot of what does happen, which is, well, if I can never be whole, I might as well enjoy it on my way out, you yep. know, kind of thing. It's sunken cost. And so what all you've done, all you've done is, is further encourage people then into a destabilizing or debilitating series of events that you think is not good for them. And at best, what you've done is instilled a sense of loss in anyone who does engage in sexual activity because they feel like they've lost a part of themselves now, right? Like, and you shortchanged the gospel because it makes it yep. sound like they're beyond even the ability for God himself to do something for them. So if that's you, if you're listening to this and you're like, I, that was me, I've already slept around or whatever, and and like, first of all, I want you to know that if that if me bringing that up was a little bit painful or tense for you or uncomfortable... um. I understand that, and I'm calling this out as a toxic teaching, not as one that is that we advocate. Um, so, if you're in this position and questioning, you know, your wholeness and your worth and value, please go listen to our Rediscovering Purity episode either right now or immediately after this, and know that that like none of that is how the story ends, and that your value is not tied up in your sex appeal or your sexual experience. So, just please like hear that from us and know that. Like you are worth more than any of the decisions you've made in the past or any actions that you've taken. You are not a failure and there is absolutely hope for you. Right. And even if you were, let us be clear, the God of scripture, you cannot out-destroy yourself for him to be able to restore and redeem. Yep. Uh, There might be some gospel out there, somebody's telling you that there are places you can go beyond hope, but that's not what Ryan or I believe in and we think we have good evidence not to believe in that so don't give up hope yep the other thing that this does with gender stereotypes is it's, it is naturally exclusive um in other words lgbtq plus individuals are often left out of the equation or if they are mentioned it's within mindsets that w- mindsets or worldviews that would reference the aids epidemic of the 80s and 90s and and uh in an effort to scare people into denying whatever attractions they may genuinely feel. So it doesn't teach kids that are struggling with their sexual identity it, 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 and trying to just, you know, figure out where, where they land on that spectrum. Um, they, it doesn't teach them to actually face that. It teaches them to never actually, 
it teaches them to be afraid of their sexuality, not actually embrace it as a part of who they are and and seek to understand what that what that means. And it's it it is go ahead. I was just gonna say basically and instead of helping people make wise decisions instead of bad ones when it comes to how to appropriately express their sexuality, we terrify them of sexuality itself. Yep. And and so we make a scapegoat of sexuality when that's not when that's not the problem. And um and look, I get that there's a fear in Christian groups that believe that, you know, um acting on gay attractions or or lesbian attractions or or acting on transgender identity is is sinful. Um I get that there's we don't want to talk about that or encourage kids to explore that, but the problem is that instead they're just going to repress whatever it is and it's going to come up. Like there's no I have friends who went through all of high school or all of college whose parents are now getting divorced because they're because one of their parents repressed or suppressed something or repressed their their sexual identity for 30 years or 40 years got married to in a in a heterosexual marriage and are now um and are now seeing all of that as a lie and um it's breaking families this this way yeah, that we've I, encouraged people to repress their sexual identity and 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 exploring it. Yeah, I mean, again, there's so many issues that all intertwine here. I, I think the point is, I, I get that the Christian community we have this concept that by discussing something, you're condoning it or encouraging it. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that started, but may I just say that could be nothing further from the truth. Having a discussion with somebody does not imply that I condone or accept or encouraging said whatever we're discussing. I can talk about euthanasia with someone. That doesn't mean I think they need to be euthanized at that moment. Exactly. And I think most people would be intelligent enough to have that conversation and not think I was saying they needed to be euthanized at that moment. The point is... You can't help anyone or help them understand, come to their own self-awareness and reflection, be self-reflective. You can't have self-awareness or self-reflection. You can't change minds. You can't do anything if you don't talk. Communication is the great narrative. In fact, from a scriptural standpoint, the Bible itself is proof that God understood one must communicate to be understood, and unless you're understood, you can then not therefore be loved. And if love really is the thing that everybody's going for, no matter how they express it, then here's the thing. If we can't get anywhere without communication, we just can't. And I think that's another big thing we're trying to get at. Like we said at the beginning, we're not even necessarily saying abstinence is bad or that we're not supportive of that position or anything. But the, the, the whole subculture around it where we do not talk, we do not discuss, we do not challenge, we do not question and we just judge, judge, judge in silence is doing nothing but forming a cancer that is destroying generation after generation of people, both inside the faith community and outside of it. And it's got to stop. Yep. The, the, um, I would agree with all of that. And the last thing I'll say, I think on this point is that it also teaches people to feel guilt and shame regarding their body's natural urges. So that even to the point of when they do it, quote, right, right? When they do it the way that, that, that our programs teach it, they end up, they end up not being able to get the information that they need in order to make safe decisions with their sexual, with their, with their sexual intimacy, with their spouse, um, because they feel shame for even trying to learn about these things. It was never okay. And suddenly now that I'm, 
now that I'm getting married, I, it's okay to learn. And you can't just turn that program switch off. Like we made them so taboo. We made talking about or learning about these things so taboo because people they're so people are afraid to educate themselves because of what their search history will show. These are people yeah. who are doing it right. Quote, right. Sorry. These are people yeah, who are they're, they're, no, right, right. The they're intended results. They're following, quote, the rules. And then when it's time to, quote, now you have permission to access this area of your life or sexuality or learn how to do this appropriately or, you know, I don't want to use the term necessarily family planning because that has a lot of political connotations now, but whatever. When, when you're doing these things, all of a sudden now you still feel guilt. Yep. And shame because you're like, uh, because your whole life you had to tell yourself bad, 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 bad. You can't just flip the switch and then go good, 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 good. You know, you yeah. just can't do that. Some people can. A lot of people can. Not everyone. And the problem is that for the people who can't flip that switch, it's incredibly damaging. Like it is, it is incredibly harmful to them. I'm talking years of therapy are required and counseling and tears shed, countless tears shed trying to work through the hangups from the guilt that many feel after their first time having sexual relations with their spouse, having done, having lived an abstinent life, a sexually abstinent lifestyle up to that point. It's just, yeah. it, the damage is indescribable, even though I just spent a minute describing it. Yeah. <laughs> Touche. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. And, and, and for those of you who are like, no, it couldn't be quite that bad. Uh, uh, let me just say, getting a little transparent here, I am, I'm on the cusp of being married myself as a as a self-identifying Christian man. Okay, and that has opened up a door of things that now I actually have to think about. Now, now to be fair, I've had to think about them more than maybe most have been allowed because in ministry, you're counseling people, you're ministering people, you're working yeah. with married couples, whatever. So, you know, it's okay for the pastor or whatever to, I guess, to a certain extent, think about these things. But still, even personally, now as I'm preparing to get married and, and start a life together, we're, even within my own community, now a lot of these things are okay. The amount of hesitation, even in my mind, when I've had to be like, okay, well, now how do I plan for this? Or what does that mean about that? I will admit it's caused me to pause several times and be nervous before, like you said, typing something into Google, like I need to look up information on this or, you know, even mentioning it or discussing fears or hopes or dreams or whatever, even with the person I'm wanting to marry, because you're just like, you know, because you've been taught your whole life bad. Mm. So that even when you get up to the point where you're feeling relief, like, yay, it's now supposed to be good. I'm about to get permission. The, the you know, the flare guns going off. The race has begun, right? You're still like, do I even want to be in the race? Yep. And, and it's, and it's, that's the type of psychological trauma that I'm sure it's to varying degrees. I don't know necessarily how bad mine is, but I'm just saying, even in the best cases, if I just assume I'm a best case scenario, yeah. There is there's still a certain level of of trauma and 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 mental hesitation that I'm having to even work through now. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And that and that's thank you for your transparency first of all. Um I didn't expect you to bring any of that up, so I I do appreciate that and I think that that adds a layer of of um realness to this and layer of authenticity to this. So I appreciate that, man. Um that's cool. 
Um, and obviously, I'm praying for you as you're getting married and excited to celebrate that with you. Um, it's going to be a good time. Yay. We're going to have a good time. Um, now the, COVID wedding. The last thing, and don't there are, there are more problems than just this, but the last thing that I'm going to talk about is one that I think is incredibly important and a little flying under the radar a bit, and it's regarding consent. The problem with many abstinence-only programs is that they teach consent as a form of self-protection for the, for the one that is requesting sex instead of self-empowerment for both individuals in a relationship where sex is on the table. Um, yeah, that's, that's especially big nowadays in the Me Too movement and whatever. It's like people didn't still get the point. Because yep. now the talk is, well, you better make sure they're recorded as saying or written down as saying or whatever voicemails yep. is saying that they said, yes, you can have sex. Because you don't want to get sued. To yep. which point I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Who are first of all, just even from a spiritual standpoint, I think you've missed the point of sex because the thought process tells me it's all about you. Second of all, right? Um, this is still negating the idea that the other person has any sort of control or value in their own body and sexuality. Yep. I mean, this is this very much is the thing that has resulted in actual convictions. Um, or not actual um, actual rapists going free because there's there was this misunderstanding and still is in a lot of people too many people that just because the body physi physiologically responded to uh, to forced sexual activity um, it meant that the person wanted it that they were giving consent because they because their body responded involuntarily to forced sexual intercourse like. It is a complete misunderstanding of consent. It's a complete gross misapplication of sex. Um, it, of, I mean, of consent. Um, the message is make sure you have consent so you don't get in trouble. But the message should be, in my opinion, and I don't know, Henry, if you would modify this. In, in my opinion, it's the message should be, this is your body. And no is a complete sentence. Yes, I'm I'm clapping now if it wouldn't ruin the mic pickup. And I wish people would No is a complete sentence. And that's I, I'm tempted to make that the title of this this episode. Um but Ooh, the, do it, do it. This is honestly it. a principle that okay. should apply to anything. Someone asks you to go out and you don't want to go out, you can say no. Um the problem is that you have to teach people that that no for you is a complete sentence and like it's gonna be no. The you don't always have to give a reason if you don't want to, you don't want to, and you have you have agency, you have authority in your life. God has made you a steward of your body, right? It's yours to take care of. And so you are empowered with that authority to say no and to determine what happens to your body. This is exactly why we punish people who do things against your will to you, because they have they have taken more authority than they have in trying to control what happens to someone else's body, not just their own. But you are empowered to say no or say yes. And that is your choice. No one else's. And if you are uncomfortable, then no is a complete sentence. You do not owe anyone an explanation for no. Period. Right. Um, but... Now we have to talk about, I think, briefly, again, what happens when someone says yes. What do, why? In whatever context. Oh, yes. Well, what do you mean? Hold on. What do you mean? Well, well, 
what I'm talking about here, because we've been talking about how abstinence is also abstaining from content. Oh, yes. And this is the danger, right? Because we've been saying no, and in a sense, to make a pun that I don't mean to do whatever, uh, no is a complete sentence for abstinence education. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> so, so I, I'm just saying we, ha- we have to teach people not just to remain abstinent, but how to properly navigate right romantic relationships how to properly value themselves and others yep why consent is important healthy empowering and the beautiful thing of it just being a not not to be a tool just to avoid trouble but to respond when you know the hormones are going wild right yeah it's it's teaching we need to teach consent as more than just a tool it is a beautiful you know consent and that empowerment that comes with that is is or that enables that that the ability to give consent is a beautiful thing and we're not teaching pe- people how to respond when their own body's hormones are, are going wild. Like you said, they're flying around. We, we're not teaching people how to do that. And you can argue all you want to me. You can argue all you want to me. You can sound like a broken record that this is teenagers and they shouldn't be exposed to romantic relationships this early. They're still developing and they shouldn't be doing, um, you know, they shouldn't even be thinking about this and, and avoiding romantic relationships in general. But we're not just talking about teenagers. Millennials ruined that, and Gen Z is following <laughs> in kind. Um, I'm 27. Henry, what are you? 30? I don't low 30s. 33. 33. I was gonna say 34. You're older than you. You're younger than you uh, give the impression of. Oh, um, the I think I'm unmarried. Henry's about to get married. We're talking about abstinence all the way through early adulthood, and now because of a lack of of education, a lack of information through the education programs we've had, there are many adults that simply don't have the tools to navigate their relationships or respond to their body's hormonal releases um, correctly. and be- Or have unfortunately self-taught themselves coping mechanisms for those things which are not healthy in the least, but we have indulged because mm-hmm. we say it is not the alternative. Yes. And right. Or, or we've taught ourselves very unhealthy. Well, I just already said it like coping mechanisms, like again, being transparent. I'm 33 before everyone starts clapping and applauding me that I have somehow maintained abstinence through this whole time and see it works. Okay. I'm just going to be honest. I was not abstinent because of some great moral choice on my part. I stayed abstinent because of abject fear. Hmm. I'm just, I'm just going to yeah. be real. And while you might go, well, at least the outcome was worth it. Well, I, <laughs> I'm not saying I necessarily regret that I am still there at this point. But what I am saying is I do regret that I have spent a good chunk, well, all of my adult life, I'm sure in ways I don't even fully understand yet, paralyzed with an unhealthy fear. And fear is not the great motivator of the Christian anyway, or it shouldn't be. No. And that no. fear, I'm sure, has spilled into other areas of life just as critical. And I wish there had been another... I guess I'm just saying, as someone who is, by the grace of God and people around me, and either just because I was a nerd or other factors that helped contribute to reducing opportunities to not be abstinent, or whatever joke you want to insert here, the point is, I, I, I wish there had been a way to make the last 17, 18 years of my life a whole lot more enjoyable while maintaining the same outcome. Yep. Absolutely. 
And like, here's the the other issue with this is it's all a cycle. Because if I never learned how to respond to my body's hormones, if I if I dealt with it through unhealthy coping mechanisms, and now I grow up having never learned anything about, uh, you know, the comprehensive sexual health idea, then I'm now going to become a church leader or a teacher or a Sabbath school teacher or Sunday school teacher, um, and I'm gonna um, and I'm going to now be teaching kids out of a lack of knowledge. Like I'm not. Now you have teachers that don't even have the knowledge to teach, like the blind leading the blind. It, exactly. And it's this vicious cycle and it is, it is nasty. Like it, it's just, it has, the cycle has to end and it has to end with people who are willing to teach. And, and well, and I'll be honest too, that also results in pastors and religious, you know, authority figures, uh, s- s- veering out of their lane. <laughs> Um, it is not a, a pastor's responsibility to teach you against your will um, all of the things that you should do in a relationship w- one way or the other. You can talk about the theology of a healthy sexual life all you want, but there's reasons that there are licensed professional counselors for um, for married couples and uh, and for dealing with a lot of the life issues that pastors just aren't equipped to deal with. I almost, I won't say this for everyone, but I will say that some of the most, and I come from a family that is very much broken. So I'm, this is not a judgment against anyone because I have had a family that has been very much broken um, by a lot of different aspects. But some of the most damaged marriage relationships and families that I have seen or grew up friends with or whatever um, were parents who like, had a parent that was a family life pastor at a church. Or family yeah. ministries coordinator, it like it almost seems like that position is cursed. <laughs> um, and I'm not saying that that's the case for everyone. And now you must suddenly doubt if you have someone who's great in that role. I'm just saying we need to do a better job as pastors and religious leaders to stay in the lanes that we've been given, and uh, make sure to connect people with professionals that are trained in this information. That's really what I'm in certified if to you're give. Cri- it. Uh, we also need to go another level. We need to also encourage Christians to get the education to be the converted spokespeople and teachers in these topics. Yep. Um, it's hard to do that when we've all followed the don't talk about it, la, 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 la. Well, you're not going and getting education to share then to help prevent problems. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about one more thing as we kind of turn this a little bit more positive. Um, and to do that, it, we're going to get a little bit, I'm going to paint a, a kind of a grim picture first um, as we do it so that we can, we, can, we can build out from here. Many individuals are broken. Like they're emotionally, spiritually, mentally, whatever, broken. When, the, when they experience the cognitive, cognitive disconnect between knowing their beliefs that say don't have sex, but their body was screaming at them that it was good and they should do it, so they did. There is a break that happens when you are unable to reconcile those two things, that you believe something so strongly, and then you, but your body screamed the exact opposite and you listened. And being unable to reconcile those two ideas coupled now with a community and culture that has taught them that they are worth less than they were before and that that value can't be restored because it's been given away. This leads people to walk away from church altogether. 
When someone feels terrible about what they've done, they don't look for people to remind them of their actions constantly or define them by those actions. They look for people who will see their humanity and their worth beyond those actions and will help restore their value through love and patience, right? You look for people that are not going to hate you for what you've done, but are will be willing to accept you despite whatever you, it is you, that you've done. So the whatever guilt and shame they now feel, apparently by design of the programs, um, is the very thing that leads them away from the community that could help them, that could help them process it. And ideally, the people most suited to restore value through love and patience would be Christians. Instead, the platform that Christianity seems to have chosen is one of guilt and shame. And I think this is the last thing I'll say here. The despicable thing about this is that many will say that the ensuing guilt and shame are a feature and not a bug. They'll say that that guilt and shame mm. you feel, the STIs, the pregnancy, that's all a consequence and you deserve it. To which, to which I say, how dare anyone say that a baby is nothing more than a consequence of a mistake? Um, that is a human life. I, I have, I have, that's my personal soapbox there. But how can we possibly say that guilt and shame that people experience serve them right for their actions when we didn't even give them a fighting chance because we withheld all the information that would have helped them make healthy decisions and build healthy relationships from the ground up. And when we were unwilling to be involved in the messy process of life itself with these people, you cannot ask someone to do something that costs them a ton and then you pay zero cost to helping them fulfill that. Yep. And many teachers don't teach or preach any of this beyond the basics, such as what I, you know, Reference at the beginning, you know, stay vertical or group dates or avoid, you know, avoid dating till you're till college, uh, because they themselves failed at the thing that they're asking everyone else to do, and that undermines their credibility. And it's it is it's simply you know do as I say not as I do. But because I was unable to do it because I didn't have the right information. I'm now not, and I don't, and I haven't learned what that right information is, because maybe I didn't even know it existed. I'm now going to teach this and perpetuate the very and create the exact same environment for for new individuals, for young people, that um, that led me to my own quote failure to live this way. If this is the choice that I wanted to make, all of that is a vicious cycle that just perpetuates itself, and we have to move beyond it. We need to teach comprehensive sex education while promoting abstinence. If there's nothing wrong with promoting abstinence, the problem is that the programs are designed to shame and guilt people into this decision for their life. And that guilt and shame extends far, has, has far-reaching consequences even when they do it right. Quote, right. So it's, it's, it's incredibly painful to watch. And if this has happened to you, we are sorry that it has. And just know, once again, there is hope beyond this, and there is a way to move forward from this. And I think this is, from this, is where we have the opportunity now to, to share some encouragement with you and uh, give you something that will hopefully be beneficial to you. And if you've never heard it before, um, I'm glad you're finally hearing it. And if you've heard it before, if you've heard what we're, any of what we're about to share with you before, then I pray that this is just something that reinforces some positivity regarding 
uh, your sexual activity and your sexuality as a whole. Um, so let's, um, uh, I do, I, I think it's important that we, that we just share a couple of, a couple of important points regarding how you can interact with your sexuality. Um, and I think the first one is this, don't be afraid of your sexuality. If God really did make sex as one of the most beautiful connective acts within humanity, then there's absolutely no reason to be afraid of it, nor the urges that precede it and accompany it. But it does mean, I think, that we are responsible for making wise decisions regarding that sexuality. We can't make those wise decisions if we're afraid to even address it in the first place. But we have to first understand our value is not in our behavior, but it's in who we are and it's in who created us and who declared that we are. And understanding that is one of the key things that, that will allow people to actually address the questions, the urges, and the things that are going on in their hearts and their lives and in their bodies so that they can make the wise decisions about their lives and protect themselves and those that they enter into romantic relationships with. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, something, something else we would, we would want to say is if you have, quote, already failed or made the choice to step out of the abstinence-only model, yeah. right? In whatever capacity or extent you believe abstinence covers. So that's, okay, that's which, sex or sexual activity in general. That's, that's what that means. It's an umbrella. Right, which, which to be fair, I might almost even take this further. Since we have all failed in the abstinence-only model— I'm just going to say that because as one who has not had, quote, sexual intercourse, pornography and other things are dealing with sexuality. And I think the mind being the most powerful sex organ means I have already done a lot of stuff to myself, Yeah. even though I, quote, kept the standard. So I, I just let's just go ahead and put us all on the same playing field. Since we have all in some way, shape or form failed are chosen to step out of the abstinence only model. One of the first and most important acts we could ever do is reestablish agency and power in our own lives. Okay? You are not a victim of your past if you choose not to be. And if you don't understand what we mean by that, again, our purity episode, go give a listen to it, because a lot of this is like a precursor to, to this, which is why we covered it first. But you don't have to be trapped in some sort of cycle of shame, guilt, and, well, it's too late for me, right? Reestablish agency in your life. And part of reestablishing agency in your life may be, and I think this is going to set it up nicely for Ryan to hit the next point, um, it might be finding a safe community in which to get the help you need to get back on a firm footing. Yes. It could be deciding, making just the choice alone that I'm going to choose to do some things differently when it comes to my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And at the very least, it comes to you forgiving yourself. Yeah. And it may be that one of the things that helps you reestablish agency and power in your own life, Henry, ready for it, is by going to counseling. Hey! I actually... Um, Henry and I, for as much as we talk about this, I think I've mentioned it on this podcast before that I'm not currently in counseling because I've struggled to find one, find a counselor. Um, but actually starting the week that we are recording this, I am, I have my first appointment with a counselor. It's a video appointment, but, um, that actually starts for me this week. Um, and I'm That's awesome, excited bro. about it. So yeah, like as much as just no, both of us are engaged in it or engaging in it. And 
Um, and we would highly recommend that if you're dealing with with some of the guilt and grief and shame that comes with that, definitely seek counseling for it. Um, and uh, it may require going out of your normal circle if you have a great fear that the counselor that you go to will just reinforce that guilt and shame instead of actually helping you address it and and move past it. Yeah. So it's okay if you need to go outside of the normal circles in order to do that. Um, but um, it, it, that can be one of the most important things to reestablishing agency is to control um, is is to control and and make decisions that will decide your future that are not dictated by what whatever happened in your past. Um, and and I think we'll also set you up you and your partner one day for healthy and wonderful sexual experiences. I mean, again, throwing out there as you already know, I've been in therapy. Ryan and I have been talking about that. Uh, I don't think she would be ashamed at me saying that, but even my fiance is engaged in personal therapy independent of me. Yep. Right? This isn't like couples therapy or whatever. Not that that's bad either. I'm just saying we we both had a discussion about this privately and even in our own lives that hey, you know, it's healthy for both of us to be healthy before we try and make life together healthy, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a good thing. It's regaining agency over each of our lives. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm really glad that we covered that and um, we got the therapy plug in there. Um, the last thing I'll say is this. I believe that as a church, we can teach sex education, romantic relationships, and sexuality in such a way that if and when people make a, quote, mistake, they know they are safe within their covenant community to face it without letting it consume their worth and identity as a person or letting it define them as a person. We can do this. And I'm not saying that we need to continue to speak in areas that we don't have any business speaking in, but if if we believe the Bible applies to life and there are things in it that can that can help us navigate the world, then you know in in current the current world, the present world, um, then I believe that we there are beautiful things in the Bible that talk about relationships and 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 what it looks like to truly look out for one another to 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 support and sustain one another through crises and through transgressions and mistakes. Um, we need to stop demonizing sexuality and sexual activity. Um, as if it's like someone murdered another church member or committed some violent crime. Um, these are, in many cases, these are adults or, you know, even teenagers, um, who, who had, uh, who experienced moments of weakness or experienced real, you know, they didn't go out with the intent to harm someone or themselves. And while intent, while malice doesn't care about intent, um, this is one of those things where I go, yeah, but um, every everything has its caveats, and I think we have the flexibility, even biblically, we have we are we are able to be flexible enough to welcome these people and maintain community with them while helping them address whatever decisions they've made and move beyond them. And in this case, 99% of the time, the punishments that we've doled out for sexual activity it do not fit the crime. They just don't. Um, and I think we have a moral and biblical responsibility to do better, and I believe that we can be better. 
So those are my final thoughts on this. Henry, I don't know if there's anything that you want to leave our listeners with before I sign us off. Uh, I think just piggybacking one thing really quick, you said, you said the punishment doesn't fit the crime. I think something else for the church and those as part of the wider faith community need to remember is that the ultimate crime has been perpetuated on the two that were engaged in the sexual activity, not you. Yeah. We, we often act like their choice hurt us, like somehow very deeply and lifelong and altering, and that's why we go after, quote, people so bad. And I go, but the lives that were affected were the two right there. Yeah. Two or more that were, were involved in that, and you need to remember they're already suffering in some way, shape, or form. Yep. So, you know, our, our job, the, the community is called to heal, not to condemn so I, I would just pray that we as a community would would be willing to take the risk of looking awkward, looking dumb, and probably having to offer a ton of apologies and admit to mistakes to prove that the church itself is not infallible. We serve an infallible God, but the church is not infallible. Yep. Um, and we, we need to get to a point where we're willing to go through the egg sandwiches, so to speak, eating a few crow sandwiches. To, to fix this, to turn this ship around and go, we failed in our job and we need to do better. And to have the guts to turn to people that have been caught up in this issue, which is every one of us, and just admit, you know, we failed you. Yep. And we're sorry. And so for what little it's worth, as people engaged in church communities, either in pastoring or leadership on university Christian campuses and things like that, just... If you've never heard it before, may we try and not only have this conversation be part of the solution, but may we also, as part of that, by having a discussion, also say, we are sorry that as leaders we have failed you. Mm. But know that God has never failed you, and that if we give this to him and are willing to own up to our part and begin changing the narrative on this, I, I know that great healing can take place. So thank you for trusting Ryan and I to be part of that discussion in your life, uh, part of that healing. And we just look forward to great things ahead with you uh, together as a community as we engage in appropriate, sensible healing discussion and, and a walk of life together. Absolutely. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And like Henry said, for trusting us uh, to have this conversation with you and to allow us, allowing us to speak into what is an intimate part of your life. We hope that we have handled it with grace and we hope that we've handled it with care. Uh, but if you have any feedback for us or just want to talk with us, uh, feel free to reach out uh, to the contact info in the show notes. Thank you guys so much for listening as always, and we'll see you next time.